Okay. Apparently I'm on now. So uh, today's reading is from 1 Corinthians 12 and verses 12 to 31. Just as a body through one has had many, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one parts, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not be for, not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honourable we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unrepresentable, we treat with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church that is placed in the church first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have the gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. This is the word of God. morning. Uh, welcome to this very unusual gathering for church. It's the first time I've ever been to church with a mask on. Not sure about you, but it's great that we can still gather under God's word, knowing that God, he's still in control even today, right now, in this very moment, that God has spoken to us powerfully through his son on the cross, and God still speaks to us today by his word, 
through a spirit. As Charlie has already mentioned, my name is Josh. Uh, I'm the pastor at Hertford Street Baptist Church, our partner church. Uh, we uphold you in prayer regularly. Uh, we desire people to be saved, uh, both in our local community and yours, uh, to accept Jesus as Lord and Saviour, and as Lord and Saviour, and also to experience new life in Christ. Uh, also want to mirror uh, our greetings from Hertford Street uh, to you this morning. Uh, I think the service is about to start at Hertford Street. Uh, Hertford Street, we're online this morning, so I might be in two places at once if anyone's looking online. Uh, I think they just finished their Zoom prayer meeting. Uh, it's great to have technology like that. And uh, Hertford Street, we're looking forward uh, to meeting in person next week too. I think it's been a little miscommunication with our Bible reading, uh, but it's great to have the introduction. We're going to keep going, actually, if you have your Bibles open. Uh, we're going to go into 1 Corinthians uh, 13 also. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, it'd be great to have a look there. Uh, great to start with 1 Corinthians 12, because that's the beginning of really uh, where 1 Corinthians 13 is going. So I'll just read 1 Corinthians 13 from verse 1, and you probably know these words anyway. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Father God, uh, Tune our hearts to you this morning. Fix our eyes on you. Give us ears to hear your word today. May your Holy Spirit be working as we share this time together to shape us, grow us, challenge us, encourage us, even rebuke us as we learn how to live in light of the Lord Jesus Christ, our King, our Lord, our Saviour, our Rock and our Redeemer. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we've come to 1 Corinthians 13. It's that famous love passage. It's the passage you've probably heard in weddings, put on posters, 
engraved in decorations, written on the Christian Hallmark cards. And I must confess myself, in my young adult life, maybe 10 years ago, I was not very fond of 1 Corinthians 13. I'm not that touchy-feely, lovey-dovey kind of person. I told myself even at one stage that I'd never preach a wedding sermon on 1 Corinthians 13. And I know, ironically, that's a very unloving thing to say to 1 Corinthians 13. But as we look at this passage in 1 Corinthians, what leads up to this passage, uh, these beautiful words and this magnificent topic, is not actually that lovey-dovey wedding scene at all. It's not when a guy and a girl in love, when they're on cloud nine, the world is their oyster. It's probably the complete opposite. If we use the wedding image again, it's probably more like marriage counselling session for the church. It's probably session number 10 or 20. There's divisions, there's separation, there's hurt. One is lording it over the other. The other saying that they're not getting enough attention. Both sides are crying foul. And it's already a mess. And you see this wonderful passage on love. It's not that heart-tugging, all-inspiring poem. You see, it's more like an intervention. It's a rebuke. It's a slap in the face to this church. It's dropping a ton of cold, hard truth on the laps of these Corinthian Christians, this church. And I think it's a rebuke that I need, that you need, that we all need as sinners following Jesus in this world. I've been told that uh, you guys have been following a series called Master Life, and this week's topic is a fellowship of believers. And interestingly, this phrase, the fellowship of believers, it's one of the five new value statements that we've adopted at Hertford Street Baptist Church late last year. And this phrase is talking about unity, community, living, working together as one within a local church. And that's one of the big issues in the Corinthian church that we come to today. Uh, just to zoom in on this, 1 Corinthians 1, it's all about divisions, factions, competing tribes within the church. And the letter keeps going through 10 different issues that were dividing this body of Christ. And chapters 12 to 14, it's the ninth issue in the letter. It's a group of people valuing one gift, probably the gift of tongues, higher than any other spiritual gift. They're even saying things like, you're not a Christian unless you have the gift of tongues. Or you might be a Christian, but you're not truly, really spiritual until you have this gift. Tongues is the best gift, they would say, better than all the others. And this culture of division, superiority, looking down on others, my group is better than yours, my group is right, and even the response to these groups from the other groups saying uh, they do the same thing in response. I think every church has these issues, this temptation and this tendency. One of the greatest threats to a fellowship, a unity of believers, to community, to the local church, it's division. And Paul brings the church together in chapter 12 
As John read, it's all about Jesus, Lord, unity in diversity. And he ends chapter 12 like this, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. You see, 1 Corinthians 13, it's not a sidetrack, it's not a standalone poem, it's not Paul's one-hit wonder. You see, 1 Corinthians 13, it's the heart of Paul's teaching here. For this issue, the more excellent way from the end of chapter 12. You see, they're arguing about which gift is better, tongues is better, no miracles is better, teaching is better. And Paul says here, forget about gifts for a moment. This is the way to behave. And in fact, this love poem, some would say it's the heart of the whole of 1 Corinthians, with all the issues brought up, divisions, rights, eating meat, gifts, lawsuits, freedoms. Paul's saying, read this chapter. This is the way to behave. And the first part, I've called it without love. Because for Paul, love is the ingredient that makes the church work. In fact, without love, the church doesn't work. You're not following Jesus. You're nothing. Have a read of verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. You see, remember some of the believers here, they thought they were the bee's knees, that they owned the place, that they were the spiritual superstars, better than the others. All this because they could speak in tongues. Some even thought that they were super spiritual, that in touch with heaven, even to speak the language of angels. But Paul says, come on guys, come on, without love, you're nothing special. In fact, you're the opposite, an annoying, empty noise. See, Corinth was famous for bronze back in the time. And here Paul says, they're just like one of those stupid gongs and cymbals that you hear in the markets over there. It's not a beautiful sound. It's an annoying racket. Verse 2 keeps going. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. You see, now Paulie picks on another gift, wisdom, prophecy, knowledge. He even widens it, faith, any gift, you name it. However impressive you might think about it. But again, Paul, he says, come on, guys, without love, you're nothing. You're a nobody. Verse 3, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now Paul, he moves away from gifts and he talks about actions, behaviours, attitudes, an act of sacrifice, a very honourable thing to do to give it all away. And the second phrase here, it's about self-sacrifice, to do something as extraordinary as this, but without love, whether it's to boast or for self-gain. Paul says, without love, you've got it so wrong. You gain nothing. Even if you put your life on the line, it's meaningless. See the pattern here in these three verses? Something great, 
without love, nothing. It's repeated three times. You see, these Corinthians, they were so focused on their gifts. They were so focused on themselves that while they may have been really impressive people, see, they forgot the most basic ingredient. They forgot to love, to love one another in the local church. And I think this is a big reminder for us today as a fellowship of believers. We might have gifted people, a lot of bums on seats, maybe not today, those with skills and abilities, great knowledge and wisdom, worthy concerns, but we can easily go about all of these things without love. To lead without love, to speak without love, to relate without love, to serve without love, to be theologically correct without love, to be right in your thinking without love, to be even right in your response to divisions but without love. Well, Paul says that if you do this, you're nothing. You gain nothing. You're just some annoying noise in the background. You don't build anyone up. You don't point people to the good news of life in Jesus. Great gifts and gestures without love are nothing. Are we like Corinth, a church without love? And if they're without love, then what exactly is love? What is this love that the Corinthians lacked that we miss so easily? You see, it's not a feelings-only-based love. It's not a turn-on, turn-off kind of love. It's not a self-centered, self-oriented kind of love. See, the word used for love, it means to have a warm regard, a genuine interest in the other. It's an other-person-centered behavior. It's the word that's actually used for God's love for us, displayed in the cross of Jesus. And it's, the word, and it's the, also the word used for Jesus and his command to us to love one another. So as we consider following Jesus as Paul describes what love is, remember that this is an image of God's love for us, of the love seen at the cross, the way that Jesus wants us to behave to one another. And each verse here is beautifully worded, but as we said before, it's actually a slap in the face to the behavior of these Corinthian Christians. And it starts like this. Love is patient. Love is kind. Both of these attributes of God from the Old Testament. He's patient with us. He's kind. He's merciful to us. But the Corinthians, they were anything but patient and kind. They were impatient for their own gain. Lawsuits, chapter 6, rights, chapter 8. And they weren't kind. They ate with their own friends only. They marginalized others. They were so absorbed with themselves. So they needed to practice love. And that's the love that we're to put on too, imitating God's love and seeking the good of others. Paulie keeps going to eight negative comments on what love isn't. It does not envy, no jealousy of others, no 
coveting what others have, that breeds division. It does not boast. Love doesn't heap praise on myself or yourself. It is not proud. Love doesn't exaggerate your own standing. It forgets about self and associates with the lowly. It doesn't dishonor others. Love isn't rude to others. No being rough with people, whether with them or more importantly behind their backs when they're not in the room. It is not self-seeking. Love looks to the interests of others. It gives preference to how others want to do things, even if it's not your own way. It's not easily angered. Love doesn't go aggro and angry and chuck a tantrum at a small offence. It is long-suffering. It's not grouchy and always venting. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love, it doesn't count the tally. It's not about getting even. It doesn't let the hostility build up. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. You see, love hates evil. It doesn't wish the worst on people. It doesn't feel satisfied at wrongs. It holds fast to what is good. It wants the truth to come out whichever way it goes, and it rejoices in this, in the truth. You see, in all the issues in 1 Corinthians, they divided. They were jealous of others. They boasted in themselves. They were proud even in their sinfulness. They were keeping records of wrongs. They appealed to their own rights instead of loving others. They even ate communion in chapter 11 in a way that was for their own selfish gain. On and on, this love is exactly what is missing here, this other person-centered, focused sort of behavior. And Paul, he finishes this middle section with a fourfold expression of love. Verse 7, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Some say these four lines, it's a chiasm, it's a writing pattern where line one and four say the same thing and two and three also say the same thing. Either way, there's obviously a lot of overlap in each of these phrases. And note the word here, always. It's not something we turn on and off. It's not when we feel like it or when it's someone I get along with or not. But love characterizes the church always. Love is a mark of the Christian all the time. Love always protects. It bears all things to keep the fellowship together. It keeps going. It never gives up. Love always trusts. It sees the best in others, not the worst, not being cynical. It gives the benefit of the doubt to others. Love always hopes, just like always trusting. It's optimistic in nature. And love always perseveres. Similar to the first point, love helps to keep going, helps one to keep going. It never gives up. It always perseveres. You see, some Corinthians thought that they were super spiritual, that they had the prize gifts, that they were better than the others, that they could even look down on them and draw attention to themselves. But in this 
rebuke of the chapter, we see that they were missing the most basic thing. They didn't have love. They forgot what love was, and all their gifts, their wisdom, their knowledge, it amounts to nothing. You see, love is the answer for these Corinthians. This love, this other person-centered attitude that, this influ- that influences our behaviors and our practice. This attitude that's embodied by the person of Jesus. And Paul says to them, God reminds us this morning, you might have these gifts, these skills, these abilities, knowledge. You might be wise and have insight. But this is how you're to behave as a fellowship of believers, united in Jesus to be patient, kind, to stomp out all your arrogance and pride, to think about the other person and to do life with the whole body, to protect and bear with each other, to trust and see the best in each other, to hope and keep looking forward regarding each other, and to persevere, to keep going with each other. This is what love is, friends. This is the love that God wants our church to put on, not just the shallow feeling love or a behavior that we turn on and off when we want, but this real, this permanent attitude of putting others first, a love founded in God, displayed at the cross, and commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ as we relate with one another. As we keep going over the past few months during COVID, many of us have had the time to go through all our storage and all our spare rooms and sheds and things like that. And I've done this, and I've continually shaken my head at my younger self as I pack these boxes full of CDs, DVDs that I paid a good $20, $30 for, all wasted, all collecting dust, boxes of gadgets, toys, MP3 players, pocket PCs, two megabyte USB drives, all that kind of stuff, all wasted, all collecting dust. You see, we want to invest in things that last the time. And Paul says here, it's the same with love. It's permanent. It's here to stay. Love will last into eternity. Have a look at verse 8. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Just like my CDs and my gadgets, these spiritual gifts that the Corinthians loved, they have an expiry date. They're going to be on the shelf collecting dust one day. And that's in eternity, when everything is perfect. There's no need for gifts, but we're still going to be loving one another. Verse 9. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. It's a similar argument to verse 8, but in a slightly different way. Uh, Before Jesus comes again in glory, everything is in part, we know in part. But when Jesus comes to usher in the new creation and eternal life that we sung about before, that's when the perfect comes. 
Believers will be mature in Christ and there's no need for gifts. They will pass away. Verse 11, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. See, Paul is making the same point again. When children, when kids grow up, they get rid of, hopefully, their childish ways. No more playing with food, no more rolling around and crying and whining. And similar with the believer and gifts. When we get into eternity, there's no more gifts. They're gone. They're not needed anymore. Paul does it again in verse 12. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. See, the Corinthians, they were famous for their bronze, remember? And they're famous for their bronze mirrors too. And just as a mirror sees things indirectly like a reflection, right now we kind of see God and understand eternity indirectly. We know, we're sure of it, but we're not there yet. And gifts are part of this indirect time. But when we see God face to face, we'll know everything fully, just as we're known by God fully. You see, in this time, there's no need for gifts at all. Gifts don't last. Gifts have an expiry date. Paul's emphasized this four times, but love lasts. Love keeps going. Have a look at verse 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. You see, these three words, they were a triplet. They were said together in the early church. You always talked about them together, faith, hope, love, like bacon and eggs, chicken and chips, salt and vinegar, faith, hope, love. You see, they were the foundational marks of a Christian Faith, resting in Christ's sacrifice for eternal salvation. Hope, a certain expectation of eternity with God. And love, living out Christ's other person attitude. But even within these three, these three important foundations, love is the greatest. Because when we reach eternity, our faith has already gotten us there. Our hope has already been reached. But love keeps going. It remains into all eternity. What will, we, what will we be doing in heaven? Loving God and loving one another. A perfect love as perfected sinners in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, love will always last and unlike gifts, love, it never fails, and it never ends. So Paul, he says this, and he urges the Christians, and for us to keep going, to stop focusing on things that don't last, to stop being puffed up over the gifts that they had, to stop beating their own drum, to stop dividing, to stop looking down on others because of it, but instead to practice love. A love for one another, this virtue, this behavior, this quality that lasts both now and into eternity. 
So today, 2021, what do we make on all this stuff about love? We've already said it's not just a feeling, but a behavior focused on the other person. And it's not an arbitrary command to love. It's based, it's founded on God's love for us. It's demonstrated, we see it at the cross of Jesus, actually all about imitating Christ, following him. You see, this love and all of these descriptors we see in this chapter, all of them actually point to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus, he's patient, he's kind, he's merciful towards us. And on the cross, Jesus, he didn't seek his own glory, but God's glory and our good. And Jesus, he bears with our sins and our stumblings. You see, when Jesus says in John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see, 1 Corinthians 13, it shows us what this love is, the way Jesus loved us, and the way we're to love each other. You see, this love passage is not arbitrary. It's grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul, he warns the Corinthians here, correcting their selfish ways and calling them to love. And God, likewise, is warning us also today, especially as we think about a fellowship of believers We all can be selfish people. We all struggle. We tend to divide more than unite. And God, he calls us again to love. This love that's seen on the cross, commanded by Jesus, and seeks the good of others. A love that's more than just feelings, that's seen in actions, that's more than a mere act, but a commitment to one another. You see... It's easy to ask questions in church like, what gift do I have? Where can I serve? How can the church make me more welcome? It's easy to say things like, why is he doing it that way? I want it done my way. I want my voice to be heard. Who's this person that's so different to us? I don't like this. I don't like that. And it's easy instead of loving to avoid to put on a front, a mask, and fake it, or to be unloving behind people's backs. But God, he wants us to ask ourselves this morning, as we think about a fellowship of believers, as we consider the local church, the body of Christ Sunnybank, District Baptist Church, and Hertford Street for me, and the unity, the community of those in Christ, the fellowship of the faithful, the belonging of believers. How's your love? How's your love? And I will split this into two questions this morning. Firstly, how are you loving those around you? You could go through all the church. How are you loving the person sitting next to you, the person on the other side of the church, the ones in the other congregations, the ones outside your social groups, the ones 
that are completely different to you? How are you loving those around you? Maybe think of someone that you don't get along with as well, that you might sometimes avoid, that you're really different to, that you may even say things to them or about them to others. How are you loving those around you? How can you love them? And second question this morning. How are you exhibiting this love? How is showing, demonstrating this love? Go through the list. How's your patience? How's your kindness? How are you battling envy, boastfulness, arrogance? How are you exhibiting this love? What's God zooming into this today as we've read this passage in this chapter? How can you grow in your love as we strive to live together as a fellowship of believers? So as we finish off this morning, let's not be a loveless church, forgetting the most basic ingredient, the ingredient that we all know, the great command of Jesus to love others as he has loved us. Instead, let's heed God's challenge and his warning this morning. The challenge set before us by the Lord Jesus Christ himself to champion this attitude of love here at Sunnybank District Baptist Church. As we consider what it means to be a fellowship of believers, a people united in Jesus Christ, a people living for God together here, to shift the attention from me to God, from me to others to work together, to be other-person-focused, to build each other up, and to do this for the glory of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Let's pray as we finish off. Heavenly Father, you know each and every one of us. You know us beyond our external actions. You know our hearts, our thoughts, our innermost feelings. You know that we're messy, sinful people. Yet you call each of us into a saving relationship with you. You were patient with us and you showed us your mercy. You loved us ultimately by sending your son to die in our place for our sin. Father God, we ask that you'd instill in us by your spirit, through your word, an attitude of love, that we may turn our eyes away from ourselves and look out for the needs and concerns of those around us in our fellowship and to seek their growth, their good, and our unity in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father God, help us to love the way Christ loved us. And we ask this not for our own glory, but for your glory, for the glory of your Son, Jesus and the building up of your church, the fellowship of believers here at Sunnybank. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.